The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good to see you all this morning. If we haven't met before, I am Dave. I'm the high school pastor here. also uh, teach up here occasionally as well. And it's really good to see you all this morning. So uh, uh, I want to welcome back our UMHB crew students. It looks like they're mostly over here. They like to sit together. Um, but it's good to see you all. Welcome back from, um, from summer. Summer's not over yet, obviously. Um, it just seems like cruel and unusual punishment to start school when it's 106 degrees outside. Just going to say that. Uh, but it's good to see you all. Welcome back. And, and today is the finish line. This is the end of our series in the Sermon on the Mount. This is week 17. So if you're just now showing up for the first time in the series today, you're going to kind of get the punchline of the, of the series. But you, of course, can go back online and listen to those other sermons from previous weeks. So um, when we first moved, my wife and I, Courtney, first moved to Temple back in 2004, we were looking for a house. And we were talking to a realtor about where to, where to find a house. And we found one in this neighborhood that we really liked, and, and we started noticing that in this one neighborhood that the houses were less expensive, seemed less expensive than uh, surrounding neighborhoods. And we asked this realtor, why is that? And he said, well, the secret is there's a, a little fault line that kind of runs through that neighborhood, and some of the homes have some foundation issues. And he said, but the house that you're looking at, I think, should be okay. It's not had any issues. It's built in 78, and there hadn't been any issues at that point. And so we went ahead and purchased that house, and, uh, and our house has been fine the last 20 years. And, uh, but we started to see immediately what he was talking about when he mentioned the foundation issues, because our neighbors just down the street, just a couple of houses down, started having all kinds of issues and problems. There was a lady across the street from us to the, down the street a little bit further. Her name was Stephanie. And she had this retaining wall that was just leaning over that was holding her house up and her house was just kind of sliding. And she couldn't even lock her front door most of the time. And then we also see on the other side of the street from where we live, just pipes just burst all the time. But once a year, water just shoots up out of the street like somebody discovered oil. And it's just, it's a mess. And they have to fix the pipes and fix the street, fix the driveways. And then the lot just two doors down from us has been an empty lot for a number of years since I've lived there. And a neighbor friend of mine told me, he said, there's a story behind that. There used to be a house that sat there and it had a pool in the backyard, but it had some major foundation issues. They condemned the house. They just bulldozed the whole thing over, left it as dirt. And then the pool had this massive crack and almost just popped out of the ground. And so they just condemned the whole property and it's been vacant ever since. However, there is someone building a house on that spot right now. And so we know the most important aspect of a house is its foundation. And in the closing words of this sermon, Jesus talks about how the most important aspect of someone's life is their foundation, what their life is built upon. Now, the latter half of chapter 7 has been a lesson in contrast. Jesus talks about these two kinds of paths and two kinds of prophets. And today we're going to hear about two kinds of builders. Now, whenever you hear us in sermons up here, we generally like to end on a high note, an exclamation point, something positive and kind of encouraging and uplifting. And we might look for a quote or an inspiring way of saying something or maybe even a video. But Jesus doesn't do that 
with this sermon. He ends with what we might call today a mic drop. And he ends with a confrontation. He doesn't end with a nice heartwarming story to make everyone feel good, but he confronts his audience with a stern warning. In the final images of this sermon, Jesus shows the difference between people who are true believers and those who think they're saved but are not. Now, these people aren't opposed to spiritual things. I mean, they like being around the church and hearing sermons and those kinds of things. They might find them helpful, maybe even inspiring from time to time. But there are those who truly know God and those who only have an intellectual knowledge about God. That's what Jesus addresses here. To show this difference, he gives us two images to compare. It's two men and two houses. Look at Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this means all the words I've said up to this point in this sermon, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, if you've ever been over to Israel, me and a bunch of other people from TBC went to Israel about a year ago, back, I think, May and June last year. And if you understand Israel's topography, you will know that the country is mostly limestone, kind of like Texas, and they will get these rainstorms sometimes. When I was there, it was a heat wave, and it was super hot, and it was hard for me to imagine and picture what must it be like in this place when it rains. It's kind of like the question you ask in Texas most of the time. And you can imagine, though, when it does rain, because most of the country is limestone and the, the, the soil is not very porous, so there's nowhere for the water to go. So it just goes across the earth. It goes across, it goes across these dry wadis, and it can create flooding that can be very, very dangerous. So you can see Jesus tapping into this image in this sermon here as they can relate to this, this situation in real life. Now, I have to admit that there's a, a commentary I've been using pretty extensively. You've heard me quote this person quite a bit, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he has an excellent commentary on the sermon, so I will tell you that the outline you're going to see today, I've got to give him credit uh, for some of the points I'll be making today. So first we look at the similarities of the men. Both men in the story had the same desire. They both wanted a house. Now, they're not much different than any man who has ever lived. Since the beginning of time, people have gathered up materials and resources, and they've built homes for themselves. This is true of the wealthy and the poorest of poor. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago how we were about to do a, a mission trip in Houston. We got back about two weeks ago, and one of the things that we did while we were down there, we were serving with a local organization there, and we went and, and we visited a tent city in the downtown sector where homeless people live, and we just brought some care packages for these people and just prayed with people and walked through and, and talked with people. And it was very eye-opening because when you're in this area and you see how they have to live, uh, 
you start to realize that even in a place like this, where people don't have very much, there are still the, the prime locations and the not-so-prime locations. So you're under a highway, and whenever you're under a highway that's this close to you, over your head, it's extremely noisy. You can hardly hear yourself think. And so there's those locations that might provide great shelter, but have a lot of noise and distractions. Then you move down a little further and you start to see people that they've chosen to live, or maybe they have to live in a spot that has, you know, not as noisy, the, the highway is, further, is higher up, but they might sacrifice some of the shelter and the shade. And then there are people who have found places that are next to water resources and, and people that have, have maybe in a low-lying area, they've tried to find a place where there's not, you know, dangerous water runoff in the place that they're located in. And so you see you, there's still like this hierarchy at work, even in a place like that. Some had better spots than others. But no matter someone's circumstances, whether it's poverty or wealth, People build shelters for themselves. And depending on their resources, sometimes they look like this and sometimes they look like that. Now, in the real estate market, it's generally about three things. Location, location, location. Now, both men in this story seem to care about the location of their house. And if Jesus uses this image to contrast true believers and those who just think they're believers, what can we learn from that? Well, both men, they had the same desire. You see, sometimes true believers and false believers want the same things. They both might attend church, both interested in spiritual things, listening to sermons, maybe podcasts, maybe even open, open their Bible from time to time. Maybe they read some spiritual books and serve in ministries. They can have some similarities. But in this story, both men want a house for themselves. So they build it. Now, if we're supposed to look at this story as an analogy for our lives, everyone is building something. Now, you might say, well, I'm not building anything. I'm just living my life. No, we're all building our lives. Every big decision, every little decision we are building our life brick by brick by brick. Everybody builds, whether they're conscious of it or not. And these men, these two men, desire some of the same things. So that's the similarities. Now here are some differences. You see, there's a parallel passage over in Luke chapter 6 that sounds similar to the one here in Matthew 7. Now, there are some differences in the details, so Jesus might be telling a similar story to a different audience in Luke chapter 6, but in Luke 6, the story goes, the wise man, he, he digs deep into the ground, and he lays a foundation, and it says the foolish man just builds a house on the ground with no foundation. In Matthew 7, they choose different locations. One chooses rock, one chooses sand, but in Luke 6, one man digs deep into the ground to find the rock. And then he builds. You know, I've always been fascinated by city skylines. And if you've ever been to a place like Manhattan in New York, and you know any of the history of just why the, the shape of the, the skyline is the way it is, um, we know that skyscrapers have to be built on some bedrock. 
And I've been fascinated at how they build such large structures on the, on the ground. Now, if you know the topography of New York City, the Manhattan, um, there are some that, that say the reason why the, the shape of Manhattan is the way that it is, downtown you see that some of the tallest skyscrapers because the bedrock is closest to the surface there. Then you get further up north and the buildings take a big dip down. And they do that because the bedrock is further beneath the surface and you can't build as big of a building in that area. Then you get to Midtown and the buildings go back up really high again because that's where the bedrock again is further to the surface. Then you get to Central Park and the granite bedrock just jumps out of the ground and creates these beautiful boulders that jut up out of the ground. And they just said, well, we can't build on this. Let's just turn it into a park. So you understand that that when you look at a place like this, it's fascinating to think about how they have to dig down to the bedrock to create buildings like this. One of the tallest, or the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, has pilings that go 164 feet down into the ground. And that tower is built on the sand. The Twin Towers in Malaysia go 400 feet down into the ground. And so in building a skyscraper, if you want to go high, you need to go deep. The same is true for us spiritually. That image of, of, of digging down deep into the ground was used by a pastor named Josh Harris, not to be confused with the new owner of the Washington NFL franchise. I had to put that in there. But many years ago, Josh Harris, as pastor, he wrote a book based on this passage in Luke chapter 6. Josh was raised in the church, began writing books at a very young age. By the time he's in his 30s, he becomes pastor of a large church in the Washington, D.C. area. The church is growing, continuing to write books. And in 2010, he wrote a book called Dug Down Deep, based on Luke chapter 6. And the subtitle was Unearthing What I Believe and Why It Matters. Now, in the book, he calls Christians to care about doctrine and theology and the importance of digging down to the solid rock in our faith. Now, in 2015, he resigned from the church to pursue some other interest. And then a few years later, he and his wife end up separating. More recently, he rejects his faith and no longer claims to be a Christ follower. Now, listen, I am not dancing on anyone's grave when I tell you that story. I hope and pray that he returns. But I think it's ironic that someone who wrote about having a deep faith that's dug down deep ends up rejecting his faith. So why do I bring this up? Well, sometimes false believers can look just like true believers on the outside. In the story, these men have similarities, but they also have some differences as well. The foolish man, he, he just wants a house. He just wants to have a house. He wants to build it as quickly as possible. He's impatient, and he just wants to throw the house together. Doesn't matter where it's located. He just wants a house. He likes the shortcut. You know, who's got time for things like a foundation? This is the kind of person who in many areas of their life, they don't pay attention to rules or instructions, don't ask a lot of questions, not real curious. They don't seek to learn from those who might know more than they do, those that are wiser than them. 
They just want to get things done as quickly as possible in the shortest amount of time. There's a saying I've heard, and this is not a Christian idea necessarily, but it's how we do anything is how we do everything. It means if you're, let's say, careful and cautious at work, then that's probably how you, how you drive, how you eat, how you shop. Our personalities have a way of, of influencing how we do most things, and it infiltrates into everything that we do. And in the case of this story, how, someone, how somebody builds a house might be the same way that they build their faith. The foolish person never stops to consider worst-case scenarios. On a nice day, building a house right next to the water can make a lot of sense. You look at the scenery, how beautiful it is, and it's convenient. You know, people have always built homes near the water. Now, in the ancient world, that might be for purposes of drinking or washing, maybe commerce or trade. Now, today, it's more for beauty, status, recreation, I just last week, we returned back from seeing family in Maryland. I grew up in Virginia, but we have a brother who lives in Maryland, uh, about an hour east of Baltimore, across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. And we were just surrounded by water a lot of the time on this vacation. And uh, that's very much part of the culture of that part of the country. And he took us to this little town called St. Michael's, Maryland, which is a beautiful little little town. And, and it's got some cool old buildings, some history there. And, and he took us on this, this, they took us on this boat tour that toured one of the little tidal basins, a river, they call it, off of the Chesapeake Bay. And I quickly realized the, the whole purpose of this tour was to make us envious of homes that we could never afford. And this is one of the houses that we saw called Maiden Point Farm. And they gave us some of the history. We're looking at this place from the water, from a distance. And this place can be yours for 15 million and some change, I believe. And when you see it, it's on a bright, sunny day. The weather was a lot cooler than here in Texas, so it was wonderful. It was beautiful. And on a, on a nice, clear day, we know that place like this, we're, we're, we're drawn into places like this. And whenever someone has some money, like these people obviously do, they're going to put their house on their property as close as you can get to the water without being stupid, right? And so they're gonna, they want the view. They want the view of the river. But the wise person knows that the river can look like this on a, on a nice, beautiful day, but we know that given the right circumstances, the water can turn into a beast. And the wise person knows that. The wise person doesn't get caught up in the moment, just taking in the sights and the scenes and saying, I want my house as close as I can get to the water, thinking only about now, but they imagine the possibilities and what could happen, worst case scenarios. And if building a house is a metaphor for building one's life, then spiritually, the foolish person isn't interested in what the Bible has to say, not interested in what we can learn from church history and the past, not interested in hearing from people with more life experience than them. They just want to do things their own way. They just want, they want a roof over their head. Just, just give me a house and give me a roof over my head. And so they come to Jesus for all the wrong reasons. They come to him not seeking a savior, but they come to him for maybe just, just a little comfort, 
a little extra peace in their lives. Maybe they like some of the teachings. Maybe they think he aligns with them politically. And listen, all of this is just building on the sand. But the wise man, the wise man is different. He is someone who he thinks before he acts. He counts the cost. He doesn't just get caught up in the moment and in the scenery. He humbles himself and he seeks out instruction because he wants to build something that's going to last, something durable. So there are similarities and there are some differences between these men, not differences between the houses. You know, from the outside, these houses could have looked almost exactly alike. The one on sand might even look better from the outside. But the major difference that Jesus highlights here is the foundation. If the foundation is wrong, then the whole house is wrong. You know that today, if, if, if a house has foundation issues, it's going to get some cracks in the walls. The doors aren't going to work right. The windows aren't going to work right. And so you start to see the symptoms externally of an internal problem. And I think our lives can be like that, where our lives can start to have some cracks. And we start trying to fix all the cracks and fix all the, the aesthetics and make it look better in our lives, but really we're not addressing the foundational issue. When we look at a house, the most important part is what we cannot see. When we look at someone's life, the most important aspect is what we cannot see. We started this series with a sermon called The Character of Discipleship. And character is that, that inner heart stuff. You're building heart stuff, heart-level stuff. And, and I think we spend, we spend most of our lives addressing only what can be seen and you know there's ways that we do. I'm not referring to like just physically. I'm referring to spiritually. We just want to get engaged, get busy in the church for, for the gospel, as we say. And we just make ourselves busy just doing stuff. We think that's how we're going to bring this about in our own flesh. You know, you and I, we want to believe that differences between true Christians and false believers are obvious to our eyes, but that's not always the case. When we go back and look at the image used to describe the false prophet earlier in the chapter, it's very subtle. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. On the outside, they can look identical. The false prophet isn't the one who says, you know, there's no God. The Bible is full of lies. It's, it's never that obvious to us. They can look the same on the outside as a true prophet, and we see that here with the two houses. They could look the same on the outside but be vastly different under the surface. They can look very similar to one another. They might both want forgiveness. I mean, who doesn't want forgiveness? They might both want peace. Like, who doesn't want peace? They might both want some comfort. I mean, the world's a tough place. Like, who wouldn't want that? You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says it like this, life is hard and difficult, and we all tend to be very weary and sad. So the world is longing for comfort. The result is that there are many people who come to the church just, as it were, to be drugged. They sit in the service, 
and do not even listen to what is said. They say that there is something about the atmosphere of the building which is soothing. They are longing for comfort and consolation. The true and false share that in common. They can both want maybe some guidance for life's decisions, you know, to seek help in their relation. Remember they see coming to the church or coming to Jesus as, you know, he's going to give me some guidance and some help in my relationships with people. They can both maybe desire moral improvement. I mean, let's improve ourselves. Like, who doesn't want that? It is scary to think how similar their lives can look. So let's look at some characteristics of the false believer. Well, this person, they approach Christianity with the mindset, you know, what can I get out of it? How is it going to improve my life in the here and now? The man who builds his house on the sand, he doesn't have any time for, you know, architects or construction manuals or foundations. He just wants a house. Just give me a house. And the false believer is someone who doesn't really care to know God's word. Now, they might enjoy the, the occasional discussion about, you know, the meaning of words or grammar or some of those debates, certain theological paradigms, but they don't really care to know the word of God in its full scope. Over in Acts chapter 20, there is this just riveting passage. It's, it's Paul addressing the elders of Ephesus, and he knows it's the last time he's going to see these elders And he goes on for for several verses, and at the very end he says, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There are parts that may have pained him to say and pained them to hear, but he didn't shrink back from telling those things to to them. And And they didn't shrink back from listening. The false believer, they don't do that. They pick out what they like. And they leave behind what they don't like. Maybe they like learning about God's love, but never his justice. Maybe they like hearing about serving people in need, but let's not, let's not talk about sexuality. This person likes to remake God in their own image. There are some who claim Christ that will leave out whole sections of the Bible. They, they won't even read it. They'll just focus on what brings them immediate comfort and peace and happiness, and all of that is building on the sand. Now, remind you of last week, Matthew 7, 22 to 23, where it says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a terrifying passage to read. But I want to ask you, what are the people here, what are they basing their assurance on? Well, it's their works. They're saying, look what we did for you. Look at all the activities we did for you. And so for maybe, for, for you it might be, of course I'm saved, I went on a mission trip, or I led a small group, or I served the community, or for our students, I did impact, I serve in the kids' ministry, I play on the worship team. We see this, I think, a lot in youth ministry. 
the students that I work with, they're, they're, they're drawn in sometimes by relationship and community and fun and activities. And I love that students like to serve, but sometimes they see salvation as just, I just jump into the church and just start doing stuff. And that's what it means to be saved. Then a few years later, they've abandoned their faith. Well, what happened? Well, their relationship with God was based on what they do, not on what's been done. And there needs to be this place of surrender where you and I recognize that. And so what are the characteristics of the true believer? I'll read it again in verses 24 to 25 where it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You know that we live in this information age where there is so much information at our fingertips daily by the minute that it becomes hard for us to put things into practice. We are really good at just taking in information all the time. And we do it in every area of our lives. But it's really hard for us to take what we learn and put it into practice. I'll be honest with you that sometimes I would rather read a book about prayer than to go and pray. We really struggle sometimes to take what we have learned and actually do something with it. Now, you might hear the words that Jesus says here and think that this sounds like salvation by works because he says do or doing, but that's an impossible interpretation if you've been tracking with us throughout this sermon. If you recall the first week in the Beatitudes, what does he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and poor in spirit means we have nothing to offer God to improve our standing with God. We, are in, we recognize that we are impoverished before God. So what does it mean? Well, I think the book of James, which is written by the, the, the half-brother of Jesus, and I think he, he's getting the words he writes in the, the letter of James. He, he gets those words, I think, from maybe this sermon right here when James says, faith without works is dead. You see, faith always gets worked out in real life. It always looks like something. It gets worked out in everyday life decisions. And we're not saved by works, but if someone has saving faith, it leads to that faith being worked out in their lives. A pastor named John Mueller says it like this, is obedience to God conditional or foundational in your life? Is your obedience to God, is it based on certain conditions? Or is it foundational to your life? Hearing and doing is building on the rock. Hearing and ignoring is building on the sand. Hearing and doing is the definition of obedience. You know, somebody with true faith is going to have a pattern of obedience in their life. No one is perfect. We're not saying that today. But there should be a pattern of obedience in someone's life. It's not the basis of salvation, but it's the fruit. And for the false believers, in the passage we saw earlier, where is their confidence located? Well, it's in their works. In the real estate market, it's all about location, location, 
location. With our salvation, it's about location, location, location. Where is your confidence located? For the wise man, his confidence was in the rock. His house rested on the rock. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In the story, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, beating against that house. And this is not just about the storms of suffering in this life, but it's about the coming storm of God's final judgment. Both houses experience the storm, but there's one house that stands. But the house isn't what protected him. It was the rock. The rock took the storm's beating so the house didn't have to. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's what he offers us. The house built on the sand, it it absorbed all of the storm's fury, and it collapsed. But the house built on the rock, it stood because the rock absorbed the storm. And so the house stood. And it stood strong. Are you resting on that rock? Jesus took the judgment for us on our behalf, and when he stared death in the face, he didn't move. He was immovable. He stayed on that cross and he died for us, but death could not hold him. And three days later, he came out of the grave they placed him in and he defeated death. And today he offers us new life. Are you resting on him today? I mentioned to you that Jesus ended this sermon with a mic drop just a stern warning. And so I read to you from Hebrews chapter 12, and this is a warning to us. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. But it doesn't stop there. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? We know that you've heard, you've now heard 17 sermons throughout this series, and you've heard lots of encouragement and exhortation, but the question that the whole series comes to is this. What is our life built upon? What is the foundation of our lives? And I want to invite you this morning just to reflect on your life for a moment. If you're someone who you have, you just jumped into the church and you just started doing stuff, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ, truly. You you see the Christian faith as just getting a little bit of peace, 
a little bit of fulfillment, a little bit of comfort. You light the community. But your life isn't resting on the rock. I want to invite you this morning to move from the sand to the rock. And you can do that by just, just crying out to him through prayer. We know that whenever we ask, seek, and knock, he answers yes for the ones that come to him humbly seeking salvation. You might just, where you sit, just cry out to him and tell him what's on your heart. Tell him that you want him in your life. You want your life to be truly resting on the rock that is Jesus Christ. It is so hard to build a house on sand. It takes so much effort and energy and output. And it just collapses in the end. Do you want to build your life on him? Just pray that to him this morning. I want to pray for you. God, we pray, God, that you would give us the courage to see how much we need you. Give us the courage to see you for who you really are. Give us the courage to see you in all of your truth and your wonder. And God, help us to trust you enough to know that that you can be our rock, that you can be our sustenance, that our life can be built upon you. God, help us to trust you that much. God, we thank you. We thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you that's worshipful, where we can revere you and be in awe of you. We pray this in your name. Amen.